Hey, so I just want to say hello. How are we doing? Pretty good. So my, my name is Ben. I'm obviously the, the youth pastor here at Wired. And um, I just want to introduce my amazing wife, Rosie, who's over here. Yeah, she is awesome. And my son, who's sleeping through my message. So thanks a lot, Ezra. Man, um, I'll actually never forget. <laughs> Sorry. I'll never forget, actually, one of the first um, times we came. I was thinking about it just then. Um, we came along to BBC. Colin was preaching. And he shouted the word lust, like really loud. It was like this illustration. It sounds really weird, but it was a great message, bro. But Ezra almost leapt out of his like basket, eh? And I'll never forget his face. So thanks for that, bro. That was great. <clears throat> so yeah, hey, we just wanted to, I just want to start by just saying thanks heaps, eh? Um, for the way that you've embraced um, our family. We just feel really loved and a part of this community. So thank you so much um, for the way that you're loving us. Um, yeah, and we're really excited for the year ahead um, at BBC and for Wired. Any Wired youth fans in the house? Let's go. Come on. So awesome. Hey, so if you're joining us on Facebook Live, I just want to say hello and welcome to this evening's message. Just, I don't know, make a cup of tea, have a biscuit. That's what I'd be doing if I was at home. So just enjoy yourself um, tonight. And, you know, this series, you know, we're really setting the scene um, leading into Easter, and basically we're looking at what God is up to in the Old Testament, leading into the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And it leads me um, to uh, the title of, um, oh, I didn't turn it on, of my message tonight. Wow, that buzzes when you turn it on. That's really fascinating. And I'm titling tonight's message, Upside Down Kingdom. Now, I just want to clarify real quick for all of those that your know, minds just went to the upside down of Stranger Things, um, I'm not talking about that tonight, so I'm sorry to disappoint you, um, and yeah, so what I'm, what I'm talking about tonight is the upside down kingdom of God, and this is a kingdom where the first shall be last, and the last shall be first, where those hoping to become great leaders must become great servants, and we're great servants become great leaders, an upside-down kingdom. And I just wanted to give you guys just a little bit of context about kind of where we're up to in this series. I think it's, it's super important before I get all carried away just to remember where we are. So we're in, in, the, in the Bible where Israel was, obviously, um, Monica talked about this last week, and didn't she do a fantastic job? Let's give Monica a round of applause. That was so awesome. So obviously Israel has just been rescued from slavery in Egypt, um, and God makes a covenant with Israel at Mount Sinai, giving them the Ten Commandments, and in doing so, confirming that he will be their God, and they will be his people. And eventually they come into this place called the Promised Land. Everyone say Promised Land. Come on. So the land of Canaan, after another quip quick 40-year lap of the desert, okay? Because the people of Israel are just a big fan of rebellion, and it's a little bit of a theme um, in tonight's message. So they enter the promised land after another 40 years in the desert, and they're supposed to be faithful to God and obey the covenant commands given to them at Mount Sinai and drive the people of Canaan out. However, the people of Israel, they failed to do so. They failed to drive the Canaanites out obey God, and it all spirals from a kind of a pretty good situation to a worse one to just 
you know, a really kind of grim situation for the people of Israel. Judges rise up in this time, right? Judges is a really interesting read if you want to read the book of Judges. And they're called by God to lead Israel through political and military action. And there's this kind of chaos period in the book of Judges. And eventually, this leads to Israel demanding for a king. And this is where we come into the era of kings. And we're going to park it today in the book of Samuel, um, where Israel make this really interesting decision. So if you have your Bibles, we're in 1 Samuel chapter 8, and I've got you covered up here on the screen. So we read here, Israel requests a king. As Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons to be judges over Israel. Joel and Abijah, the oldest sons, held court in Beersheba. But they were not like their father. They were greedy for money, and they accepted bribes and perverted justice. So finally, what happened is all the elders of Israel met at Ramah to discuss this matter with Samuel. And they said, look, they told him, you are now old. Let's pause there. That's rude. Okay. All right. That's rude. And the second thing they say is, and your sons are not like you. For a dad, that would have been so heavy to hear. And then kind of the third thing they say is, give us a king to judge us like all the other nations have. And this is a big call. Samuel was displeased with their decrest and went to the Lord for guidance. And God said, do everything they say to you, the Lord replied, for it is me they are rejecting, not you. This is God. They don't want me to be their king any longer. Ever since I brought them from Egypt, they've continually abandoned me and followed other gods. And now they are giving you the same treatment. Do as they ask, but solemnly warn them about the way a king will reign over them. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for um, your word. Um, We thank you that it's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. And God, as I'm I'm unpacking this upside-down kingdom tonight, God, I just pray that you would speak through me by the power of your Holy Spirit. God, would you teach us um, as we open your word. And we just thank you for the privilege um, it is to have this incredible um, book in our hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. How good is prayer, by the way? Just pretty good. Just its communication with God. I just drop it in there. It just blows my mind that we can just stop at any moment and do that. Amen? Yeah? We should do it more often, don't you think? Yeah. So, what happened? Obviously, you know, the people, are they're being rude, okay? They're being rude not only to Samuel, but they're being rude to Almighty God, creator of the universe, um, You get the point. So the same God who freed them from slavery in Egypt. Yeah, they've just kind of like, I'm I'm talking pillar of fire, God. Yeah, cloud of smoke, God. The one who just opened up the sea, God. Yeah, almighty God. And Israel is saying, we want a new king. And this just showed just a blatant lack of trust in God. And they were making a comparison, all right, with the other nations. And they were basically saying to God that you are not enough 
and we want a new king, like the other nations have. And God, in his grace, we're about to read, warns Israel one last time what it will cost to have a king, like the other nations. And we'll continue reading. Whoops, there we go. So Samuel passed on the Lord's warning to the people who were asking him for a king. This is how a king will reign over you, Samuel said. The king will draft your sons and assign them to his chariots and charioteers, making them run before his chariots. Some will be generals and captains in his army. Some will be forced to plow in his fields and harvest his crops. And some will make his weapons and chariot equipment. The king will take your daughters from you and force them to cook and bake and make perfumes for him. He will take away the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give, the, give them to his own officials. He will take a tenth of your grain and your grape harvest and distribute it among his officers and attendants. He will take your male and female slaves and demand the finest of your cattle and donkeys for his own use. He will demand a tenth of your flocks, and, he will be, and you will be his slaves. When that day comes, you will beg for relief from this king you are demanding, but then the Lord will not help you. But the people refused to listen to Samuel's warning. Even so, we still want a king. They said, we want to be like the other nations around us. Our king will judge us and lead us into battle. So Samuel repeated to the Lord what the people had said, and the Lord replied, do as they say, give them a king. Then Samuel agreed and sent the people home. And so just a quick you know, summary of what's going on here. You know, The first thing we see happening is Israel saying, give us a king like all the other nations had. Israel already had a king. All right, that was God. Okay, God was their king. And so you can see how this displeased Samuel and it displeased God. Give us a king to judge us like all the other nations have. Israel wanted a new leader instead of God. And we can see this is deeply disturbing. You're by demanding a king, they are saying that they know better than God. Okay, and in doing so, they were putting themselves in God's place. The second thing we see is God just saying this, for they are rejecting me, not you. This is what God is saying to Samuel, for they are rejecting me, not you, God says to Samuel. God knows exactly what's happening here. He is being rejected. And the third thing we see is they want to be like all the other nations around them. We want to be like all the other nations around us, despite all that God warns them about, how a king like the other nations have will reign over them. They're trying to be like the other nations when God just wants them to be so different. And finally, God says this, give them what they want. Give them what they want. Israel rejects God as their king. And I'm pretty sure this is where they come very close to be smited by Almighty God. Yeah? <laughs> um, and from here, 
Okay, so Samuel anoints Saul as the king of Israel, and then David, who's the writer of you know, most of the Psalms, rises up as king when Saul dies. And there are some good kings that unify the kingdom of Israel, and God uses these kings. You know, but then unfortunately, it all kind of spirals out of control from here. And we'll hear some more about this next week and the consequences of these choices you know, that Israel make to demand a king from God and reject the Lord, their God, as king. Everyone all right? Yeah? No. Oh, All right. Pretty heavy, okay? So I'm sorry about that. But guess what? It gets better. Okay, all right, so God has a plan, all right, to remodel the definition of what a king should really look like through one of David's descendants, and that's Jesus. And you see, it is always, I think it's always God's sovereign will to have a king. Israel just went about it at the wrong time and definitely, you know, with the wrong attitude. And there are many prophecies that look forward to the coming of this new type of king. King Jesus. And we see this in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah says, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. It'll never end. And he will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven armies will make this happen. And you see, Israel went through king after king after king, and they were fixing their eyes all right, on the worldly standard of kingship. And then guess what? God sends his son, Jesus, to redefine what a king and a kingdom should look like. And this is an upside-down kingdom. Turn to your neighbor and say, upside-down kingdom. Upside-down kingdom. And unfortunately for the nation of Israel, they miss it all over again, for their eyes were fixed on the wrong prize. Anyone ever done that? Anyone had your eyes so fixated on something that you, you missed something really important? Yeah? Yeah? Me? Let's hear a story about it. Okay, so I, it's funny, like, we were living up in Auckland for ages, and the lights over here, and we, um, coming back home, it's so hilarious driving down. We, we lived down Papamoa Beach Road when I was growing up, all the way down at Golden Sands, yeah? Come on. Yeah. Amen. Um, so we were at Golden Sands when it was like a dirt mound, okay? And now it's just like crazy, right? Houses everywhere. And I always laugh when I drive past this dairy, because I'll never forget it. We used to mow our neighbor's lawns um, when I was a kid and earn some money. And when we were really naughty, my mum and dad used to make us trim the um, hedges with scissors as punishment. All right. Anyway, we won't go there. But um, what happened was I, I was walking down to the dairy and it, me and my brother would often cruise down and get a Beyblade. Any Beyblade fans? Yeah. Start a small group or something. Um, but anyway, we'd go down and get a Beyblade. But this one day I was getting an ice cream. All right. And I'm talking like double stacker, you know. We got paid pretty well for the lawn. So double stack. Cookies and cream, cookie dough, amen? Anyone? Yeah? Waffle, yeah? Okay. A waffle cone. And honestly, I just, I'll never forget it. I can actually visually remember it. I just had my eyes fixed on this thing. And I was just like, I love you. And, you know, I just totally walked straight into a power pole. 
And like, I remember the powerful and my ice cream was gone, you know, and I'll never forget that moment, you know, and my eyes were just so fixated on this ice cream that I just didn't see this power pole coming. And like, I should have known, I was pretty much walking like onto the road, you know, and so I walk into this power pole. And so I guess you can see how easy it is for us to like, fixate our eyes, you know, on things and miss something, you know, that... Um, Miss a power pole coming your way, do you know what I mean? Yeah? Um, and so, I mean, it, what, I, what I want to look at tonight is just what, um, how does Jesus reinvent what God's kingdom really looks like? And so, I think Jesus um, does this in a few really incredible ways. And so, we see this, um, Jesus redefines this kingship and this kingdom as a humble king. I thought we'd just read this. So the next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down the road to meet him. They shouted, praise God, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and rode in on it, fulfilling the prophecy that said this, Don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, riding on a donkey's colt. The people knew who Jesus was. Okay, They knew this prophecy. They knew what was happening. His disciples didn't understand it at the time, but this was a fulfillment of this prophecy in the Old Testament. But after Jesus entered into his glory, they remembered what happened and realized that these things had been written about him. So Jesus, you know, he rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, and Jesus could have rode in on the flashes of chariots, okay? You know what I'm talking about. In today's context, like a really flash chariot might be like a Toyota Wish, you know, like, you know what I'm talking about? Every parent in the room said amen. Nah, okay. It's got a reversing camera. Honestly, it's a great car. But, you know, he didn't. He rode in on a colt, okay, a donkey, a symbol of peace and humility. The Jewish leaders couldn't see this prophecy being fulfilled because they had their eyes fixed on the worldly standard of kingship. The second thing that Jesus shows us about what kind of king he is in this upside-down kingdom is as a servant king. But Jesus called, called them together, and these are the disciples, and he said, You know that the rulers of this world lord it over people, and officials flaunt their authority over those underneath them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you, listen to this, must be a servant. And whoever wants to be first among you, must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. How did Jesus model this? I think it's really interesting. Um, Colin spoke about this you know, a few weeks ago. You know, Jesus washed his disciples' feet. And this was a big deal. Okay, It was a big deal. All right? In this context, the washing of feet was a slave's job, 
Okay, so you can imagine that Jesus' disciples would have been pretty shocked, you know, by the washing, you know, of their feet by Jesus. Jesus shows us this new way of leading others by becoming a servant. An upside-down kingdom, a humble king, a servant king. And I think another way that Jesus shows us this is as a sacrificial king. The thief's purpose is to kill steal and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. We read in the book of John. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And this is what Jesus has done for all of us. He laid down his life as a sacrifice for many. The good shepherd sacrificed his life for the sheep. And I mentioned earlier that Israel was still looking for a king like the other nations had. Okay? And they crucified Jesus for who he was claiming to be. And the irony is, is that after they had nailed Jesus to the cross, the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. Then they sat around and kept guard as he hung there. A sign was fastened above Jesus' head, announcing the charge against them. And it read this. This is Jesus, King of the Jews. Jesus redefines kingship you know, as a servant king, as a humble king, and as a sacrificial king. And I think, you know, the, the challenge for us today, you know, are we putting other things in God's place like the nation of Israel did instead of him, instead of God as our king? Are we looking to the world for answers or for guidance instead of to Jesus, our king? And, you know, there's been so many times in my life where I have done this. You know, I've looked to the world for answers instead of Jesus And it wasn't until I realized that there is nothing that the world can offer me better than what God offers me if I lay down my life and I follow him. A life empowered by his presence. A life with hope for the present and for eternity. A life free from the uh, condemnation um, of guilt and shame. The world can't offer us that. But do you know who can? Jesus. Jesus can. Jesus just asks us one thing, you know, to lay down our lives and follow him as king of our lives in this upside down kingdom. Jesus says, what you do for the least of these, you do for me. And I think um, someone who just continuously blows my mind is Mother Teresa. We obviously all know who Mother Teresa is, yeah? Um, pretty incredible lady. And, and this book called um, Irresistible Revolution, um, the author Shane writes about Mother Teresa, and he, he says this, people often ask me about what Mother Teresa was like. Sometimes it's like they wonder if she glowed in the dark. That'd be pretty intense if she did. You know, or if she had a halo, she was like this. She was short, she was wrinkled, and precious. 
maybe even a little ornery, like a beautiful, wise, old granny. But there is one thing I will never forget, writes the author, and that is her feet. Again, rude. What's this guy doing staring at Mother Teresa's feet? I don't know. But anyway, her feet were deformed. And the author actually thought, um, you know, each morning he would stare at them, which is kind of hilarious, but he wondered if she had contracted leprosy. Her feet were so deformed. And one day a sister explained, um, her feet are deformed because we get just enough shoes donated to the orphanage for everyone. And mother does not want to get stuck with, uh, doesn't want anyone else to get stuck with a worse pair than what she has. And so do you know what Mother Teresa did? She would dig through the shoes that they would get and she would put on the worst pair of shoes because she didn't want anyone else having a worse pair of shoes than what she had. And years of doing this literally deformed Mother Teresa's feet. Years of loving her neighbor as herself deformed her feet. And I just love this quote from Mother Teresa. It's pretty heavy. The dying, the unwanted, the unloved, they are Jesus in disguise. And I think, you know, Mother Teresa knew how to love like Jesus in this upside down kingdom. And so tonight, you know, if you're online and you're joining us and um, you want to make Jesus, King of your life, you know, I'd love to pray for you. If you're sitting in here in this auditorium tonight and you want to make Jesus King of your life and enter into this upside-down kingdom, I would love to pray for you. So maybe why don't we all stand as a, as a family tonight? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much that you laid your life down for the sin of the world the sinful nature that we are all inheritance of due to what happened in the fall in the garden when Satan first tempted man and when man failed to turn from that temptation. We thank you, God, that you so loved the world that you sent your one and only Son, King Jesus, so that anyone who believes in him shall not perish but inherit eternal life. And if that's, if that's you tonight, if, if you're online, um, if you're here in the building and you just want to declare Jesus Lord of your life, I'd just love for you to join me in a, in a prayer. And I think I'm all about doing stuff as a family, so why don't we just all just say this prayer together. Um, but if that's you tonight and you just feel Jesus tugging on your heart and he's saying, come and follow me, be my disciple, come, follow me into this upside down kingdom and I'll show you a new way to live. I just encourage you, um, repeat this prayer after me tonight, but let's say it all together. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I've done wrong things and I can't fix myself. Please come into my heart, Holy Spirit, and forgive me. I believe that Jesus died for me and rose again. Please come into my heart and make me a new creation. I will follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.